Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your thoughts on the cryptocurrency ecosystem in general and the ethos behind it. Uh, so during our discussion prior to, this inter- uh, prior to this interview, you talked about your views on things like file sharing in the early days of the internet, incentivization mechanisms, subsistence subsistence economies and and, and monetary policies and and synchronicity. Uh, Let's pick up these topics and talk about it, if that's okay. Yeah, I I maybe start in a a different order. Uh, So I think uh, uh, like my own view of uh, what technologies like Tangem, not necessarily just Tangem, but technologies like Tangem, technologies that really unlock uh, you know, remove barriers of entry and uh, uh, unlock cryptocurrencies for massive, massive uh, amounts of users. So uh, my hope for for this is there would be two steps. And one is essentially making cryptocurrency ubiquitous so that everyone on earth either uh, already uses it or uh, has uh, very easy access to it. Uh, so essentially, it's like paper money. So uh, the, it's highly publicized that some countries like China are, or some populations are going cashless. But at the same time, uh, even in those countries, uh, every, every single person has easy access to paper money and uh, can always like, get it, can always spend it. So my hope is technologies like Tangem and, uh, and other types of technologies will uh, eventually uh, get crypto to this state. Oh, and uh, le- let's not kid ourselves. Right now, cryptocurrencies are very, very far away from that state. We're still uh, below, uh, far below 1% population adoption. Uh, and to, to cross even 1% globally, we have to, uh, to, to innovate the heck out of you know, all the products around cryptocurrencies. So my hope is like ubiquity will be uh, the first big thing that, that will come thanks to multiple technologies. But then what happens is even more interesting. Uh, I think what cryptocurrencies will allow, and we're seeing it right now, but on a small scale because of lack of adoption, uh, is uh, basically, uh, okay, what, what I call the end effect is like infinite cash for everyone. Uh, and I'll explain. Um, so uh, for me, money has always been a means of communication rather than anything else. Like money is essentially uh, is a mechanism to say uh, two hours of my work uh, to, to communicate that I think two hours of my work are worth one hour of your work or like three hours of my work uh, are worth that and that product that you like, you know, you baked some bread in the morning. So I think it's, it's worth like an hour of my work. So all of that communication, uh, like essentially it used to be barter and money uh, allowed us to uh, streamline all that barter and uh, 
commoditize and like automate and stream like uh, basically money allowed uh, uh, allowed all of these local barter processes to suddenly uh, emerge into global liquid economy uh, or economies. So um, I, looking at that, it, it definitely feels like money is just a protocol of communicating value between uh, different economic agents, whoever they are. So we have 7 billion people in the world. We have hundreds of millions of companies in the world, and they all communicate between each other about like what value they place on their goods and services. And money is like serving that. The problem is, uh, historically, and even still in our time, uh, money is very poorly defined and implemented. So basically, every country on earth has a, a limited cash pool of its own currency. There are usually severe limitations um, in every country for you know, the use of foreign currencies. So usually every country prefers that uh, local businesses all, and people only use its own currency, uh, like inside its borders. And the problem is this cash pool of money is limited. It's of course growing in almost every case uh, very fast, but at any point in time, it's like severely limited, like very, very strictly. And the problem with that is uh, uh, there are professionals in the market uh, when we can call them the finance sector. The finance sector is allowing this whole monetary system to work, but at the same time, it has professionals whose only job is to uh, grab and like centralize and amass as much of, those, uh, of, of that currency as possible. And what happens, uh, I think, is the, the cash pool is, is very quickly starved. Uh, and like, it, it is essentially inevitable because like, you have a cash pool and you have pr professionals that make it their job to get as much out of this cash pool into the like centralized accounts as possible. So it's like, if it's easy, they, like it's an easy job for them. It's the, if it's hard, it means the cash pool is already starved. And what, what it means is the 99% of companies and people whose job is not the financial sector, but actually it's, uh, it's like producing something or doing some other services, then they find themselves in a situation where like everything seems to be good, but actually it's suddenly hard for them to, to like get money to, to participate in, in economies. And uh, I think a lot of poverty in the world is what I call technical poverty, which means that, uh, and this, where we, this is where we come to subsistence economies, like countries like Myanmar and uh, like special cases like Venezuela, which recently ran out of paper cash and mostly other types of cash as well. So uh, people there uh, are not poor because they lack skills or they're lazy or uh, they're sick, not at all. They're hardworking, they're fit, they are actually like producing stuff. Like in Myanmar, until recently, it was almost 100% subsistence economy, which basically means uh, people were uh, eating what they grew uh, on their land. Like everyone was growing rice or like uh, other, other fruits and vegetables and, and stuff. And they were just eating it themselves directly without trading because 
those territories and countries and situations, they just lacked cash. So you could, without cash, if, you, if there's no cash at all, like technically you don't have cash in your life because something went wrong with the government or the economy, uh, you, you can only barter technically with your neighbors. Like you, you grew some rice, they, they have some meat, you can exchange part of it for, uh, like you can partially exchange and everyone benefits, but there's no economy. Like you, you can't just sell rice and go to a store and buy some, you know, crackers. So, um, uh, so that, that is what I call technical poverty. Just people, hardworking people doing a lot of useful, um, useful work, but uh, not being able to participate in economy and essentially having zero in their pocket or their bank account just because the cash pool is starved or dysfunctional. So I think what cryptocurrencies can do once they are ubiquitous, what they can do once they are ubiquitous is allow uh, the uh, deficit of cash to be forever eradicated. And the, this is very fascinating for me, fascinating for me personally, because <coughs> when, you know, I, like I, as a geek, I was growing up on Star Trek and other like sci-fi, and we always had that look into the future. and what we saw was uh, uh, a vision for Earth and like human society that basically ceased to have money as we know it right now. At least they ceased to have money as a concept of deficit. And um, like the Star Trek universe had different explanations around it, but until crypto come, came around and until I started realizing this concept that you know, we can really eradicate cash deficit, uh, like that was like completely impossible for me to explain to myself. How can how can a society exist without uh, one big uh, limited cash pool? And now I sort of get it. Uh, so even with the ICOs and all of these new new tokens and cryptocurrencies being issued at a very small scale, like less than one percent of population, we see value being created and value being supported by certain work and actions of those projects or of those, you know, the users of those cryptocurrencies. And once crypto becomes ubiquitous, through one way or another, what's gonna happen or what's gonna be suddenly possible is for every human, every company, every project to uh, essentially issue their own currency. And before, uh, you know, before you fret, uh, about it because uh, nobody wants to see a zillion of shit coins. Uh, I fully believe will develop like different companies will develop more mechanisms and more uh, paradigms to to issue and to use uh, uh, new tokens in, in a much more uh, responsible and uh, you know versatile and safe ways. So that that will definitely happen. It won't just be uh, a zillion of ERC-20 tokens. Definitely not. It will be some, some new concept around that. But every human, every project, every company, every group of people, uh, everything can start releasing their own tokens, their own currencies, and the value of those are completely to be decided by, uh, by the market. Uh, but the essence of it is, right now I think, Everyone like knows this adage that money makes money, and 
if you look for deeper effects in economy, there are more, there's more research that entrepreneurs are pushed uh, by, by the current economic system to become owners. So if you're an entrepreneur uh, in like Silicon Valley, then your whole environment pushes you to, to convert at, at a certain point from entrepreneur to some role in a big company to a shareholder. And once you're a shareholder, you like and pushed out of the day-to-day -day operations, you do nothing, you just grow your wealth and benefit from it. And it's a very well-known effect that like right now in, in the current economy, um, if, you, if you start something, uh, then it means you own it. And then it means like owner, ownership uh, is enough for you. And like it makes more money than actually starting anything new. And that's a very poor effect. But that is because like in limited cash pools, uh, like the more you hold of money or of shares, uh, the more deficit there is and the more the value of what you hold is, is, is growing. But with cryptocurrencies, I think it's the opposite. I, I think like even, you know, if you look at the success of Bitcoin Cash, which is like a very controversial and questionable project, uh, a lot of people at, at a certain point in time, they were so tired of Bitcoin uh, being so, you know, expensive and inaccessible and growing too fast that when an alternative sprung up out of nowhere and it was like at first much cheaper, they, they just uh, grabbed at that opportunity, which means that, you, you know, as, as soon as like if, if suddenly uh, tomorrow we see that Bitcoin is mostly controlled by like a bunch of, you know, the 0.1% of individuals in, in the world and everyone else uh, just has crumbles, then it's not a problem because we can start a hundred other cryptocurrencies or tokens um, and we, we can just trade them between us, the working population, whereas uh, the, the hoarders and the owners, which do nothing but, you know, look at the bank accounts or the, the, the wallets, they will, uh, yeah, yeah they, they will just look at the accounts and the currencies they hold, they can go down. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Is that too long of a rant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that is a possibility. I mean, although I'm not sure, like, you know, like, uh, like, uh, and maybe, you know, I'm not thinking about this the right way, but like, like, are we just creating money out of thin air when you say that, you know, like, you know. Right. So it's fantastical until you think about what internet did. So I always explain it this way. Like, if you, uh, if you go back to 1980 or 1985, um, you, you like if you want to get some info, inf information about some person on the other end of the world, like let, let's say we, we know, like I'm in Hong Kong, you're in Singapore, we want to, to learn something about a company or a person in the United States. If we are in 1985, what you have to do is you have to hire a research agency or a private investigator and you pay them a lot of money, like a few thousand dollars, and you wait for a month, and then you get some report. And if you tell those, all of those professionals that in a couple of decades, you would be able to do all of that work for free in seconds out of you know, the comfort of your, of your office just by using Google or like LinkedIn or some other service, 
they would tell you you're crazy because information costs money. Information is like everything and it's costly to collect and uh, to filter through and all of that. But right now, uh, there are billions of people in the world having free access to Google and Facebook and all of those services. And we have infinite access to uh, virtually infinite information. And uh, like, like Wikipedia and all of that, it's like knowledge become, became untapped and infinite and free for everyone. And I think if we think about money as a flow of information and like a means of communication between people, uh, what internet did to information, cryptocurrencies are doing to, to money. So I really think if, if, you, if you imagine again, like what exactly, because we all grew, internet took decades to develop and we sort of grew up with it. So it happened so slowly that we failed to miss the, the humongous effect it had on, on human economy and information. And I think cryptocurrencies are gonna uh, reach same effects uh, for like our monetary systems, but much, much faster. So it's much more exciting to, to, look, them, to look at them developing. And so how do you think the world looks like, like in a few years time when uh, things actually start maturing a little bit? Like, do you have any predictions? Like, do you, do you sit down and think about like how the world would look like, say five, 10 years from now? Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I have the optimistic view. And uh, at the same time, I have a ver very sober uh, realization that, um, you know, Elon Musk brought it up recently that by default, uh, progress doesn't happen. Actually, what happens by default, unless there are specific people driving progress with all of their, you know, dedicating all of their lives to, to human progress, by default, what happens is that we went to, to the moon and uh, we had technical capacity to send many, many more missions to the moon. And now we can't, uh, no, we really can't. It's like out of our reach right now. So, by default, progress doesn't happen. And with blockchain technologies, I really understand that, first of all, by default, uh, nothing much will happen unless we really start fixing user experience and uh, merchant experience and all of that. And uh, the, uh, that's like the, the, the sad version. Like, okay, we, it's a, it could be, become a fad. But then an even uh, scarier version is that blockchain technology might get leveraged by, uh, you know, suppressive uh, governments and uh, uh, some bad actors for whatever whatever agenda they have. And I see that is a very, very real possibility. And I think, again, we have to, as engineers and innovators, we have to carefully design uh, our products and our solutions to uh to to foster a good behavior not without any restrictions just to be like flexible enough for normal human uh activities to be you know unrestricted and and possible and then the optimistic uh, view is that uh in maybe uh what i hope to see in uh, five to ten years although technically this is doable right this year Right this year, we can have infinite cash for everyone around the world. 
but I understand the organizational and political challenges around that. So I, I sort of give it like five to 10 years only for like organizations and politics to, to get around it. But technically we're ready even as we speak. And I, I see the world without, uh, you know, w w without cash poverty. Uh, I see the world where people uh, have immediate, uh, immediate possibility to do whatever they uh, love to do, whatever they are aspiring to do, and to be uh, guided by the market to, you know, uh, make progress, to improve their skills, to improve what they're doing. Uh, so I, I see all barriers that are created by the current monetary systems around the world. Uh, you know, even venture capital, which is like one of the biggest uh, achievements of, uh, of civilization. Like if you talk to founders in the Silicon Valley and uh, other places around the world, uh, and like, I, I, like I, as a disclaimer, uh, I think we, we both come from, from the world of venture capital, uh, more or less. But uh, uh, if you talk to, to the founders, uh, especially when they look at what's happening in the field of cryptocurrencies, they suddenly come to, to this realization that venture capital is extremely dysfunctional. It puts so many barriers that are uh, just not, uh, not very benign or not very useful. Uh, that it's mind-boggling how much progress is, is being, uh, you know, stifled uh, out of life at very early stages, just because there's not enough, like, liquidity of attention and there's not enough merit in this, this, uh, decisions being made. Uh, so I, I think uh, uh, all of that is, like, very, very uh, ripe for disruption uh, or very fast evolution. As we know, a lot of funds and venture funds are uh, transitioning to, uh, you know, to, to start crypto branches or to embrace crypto uh, very aggressively and very fast, especially this year. Uh, I think this year we, we saw uh, a very interesting pivot where last year most of the ICO money came from retail investors. This year, maybe 80-90% of it is coming from institutional investors and uh, just generally very large investors. So that is happening. And, and I think very fast, we're gonna, we, we're gonna have this chance to find ourselves in, in a world where the money is not a barrier anymore for anything. You, if you have no money, you can just, you know, uh, tell the world that, okay, this is my token or whatever. And if you believe in me uh, and look at what I do, and if you believe in me, then you can value that and I can, you know, I can go to Starbucks tomorrow and have my coffee because you value my uh, stuff and it immediately gives me value. And if you don't, uh, there, there will be mechanisms for the market to, to suggest uh, to myself what, what I can do, you know, best or better to, to, to succeed in the market. Right. So it will remove the zero-sum game that, limited cash pools are creating for all of us around the world. Right. So let's talk about one of the other concepts that you talked about, which was synchronicity. So could you elaborate on what that means and how it's in the, how it's prevalent in the world today and how it touches crypto or how it influences crypto? 
Uh, right. So um, uh, I, I just think that, okay, it, it, it can sound a little bit metaphysical or like out there. Absolutely. Let, let's do that. Let's, uh, I mean, we like stuff which is out there. Okay. Um, so, um, like, you have to, like, you know, all this, all this uh, mystery around who Satoshi is and basically why now and all of that, because technically we look at crypto and we understand that more or less, uh, uh, like the exact current implementation of Bitcoin and crypto, it, it, could, well hap it could well have happened uh, a decade ago. Like there's nothing technically really preventing it from happening a decade ago. Yes, maybe right now it's like slightly easier for current computers to do it, but really a decade ago it could like completely happen, but it didn't. So why now and who are like the inventors of it and uh, like did they even understand what they were doing? I think like nobody uh, like was really anticipating the whole effect. And uh, what I tell myself sometimes is, uh, okay, somehow humanity is ready for this next step. Somehow humanity needed to be limited in its like, okay, sometimes somehow humanity needed this limitation of money uh, this concept of money that was putting a limitation on our creativity and on our pursuits, but somehow we grew out of that phase and maybe we are, as, as a civilization, as, as, as the world, we're suddenly ready for the next step where uh, our pursuits are not defined by strictly like monetary facts, but rather by uh, like inspiration and all this flow of information which has been enabled by the internet itself and uh, when I th think about this uh, it this way uh, I start recognizing also that uh, basically um, like it, it's not just Bitcoin uh, you, you know because like you, you can't just explain it so easily that Bitcoin appeared and then it inspired Vitalik to, to make Ethereum uh, and then inspired a bunch of other people to. So uh, you can't just explain, uh, explain all of this explosion of different technologies around blockchain and, and crypto. You cannot just explain it as a chain reaction of inspiration, or at least I find it very difficult to explain that way. Uh, but what I see is like, completely different cultures around the world uh, reaching a, a level where they are ready for something like radically new in terms of uh, in, in terms of economy in terms of uh, um, you know how, what, how they approach work at all and uh, at the same time we see all this conversation about humanity running out of you know, meaningful work and necessary work. And um, then we have to invent uh, universal basic income in, in some ways. And it, it's hardly, you know, it, it's very difficult to believe that it's just a coincidence that the, the peak of discussion around UBI uh, and uh, humanity running out of work 
coincided with this invention of blockchain and, and crypto, which could be could well be the uh, uh, the best mechanism for us to solve like uh, UBI and all the other problems. So um, I think last time we spoke, uh, uh, I, I gave some other examples of synchronicity, but I really believe that um, uh, crypto and blockchain, as we see it, are just part of something much much bigger. And um, personally, uh, even even working on Tangem, uh, personally, I give up thinking of all the effects crypto is going to have uh, on, on humanity because um, all of our patterns of thinking are still based in history, in like centuries of history. And even right now when uh, people are thinking about crypto, most of what they most of the vocabulary we're using for it is the vocabulary used for uh, fiat money and for stock markets, but it really doesn't make any sense because like we already understand rationally that crypto does not follow those laws and it's it's a completely different entity with its own effects and its own possibilities and its own like mechanics for issuing new value and creating new value like everyone uh with the salt rationally understands it but we're still using the current vocabularies just because we didn't develop a new language for it and this is the most fascinating uh situation of all like we're already stumbling into something new without having words to explain it or without having a vocabulary to even think about it we're just trying to use our old vocabulary to like approach the meaning of this new thing. And uh, I, I think the, you know, uh, there's much, uh, there's much hope for e even the younger generation because uh, they're going to take a look at crypto and they're going to use it in ways that uh, we thought are like improper or irresponsible or impossible. Uh, you know, there's a very good like explanation for startups like Google happening. And the explanation is the founders were so young and so inexperienced, they didn't know they, they, that it was impossible to, to do a startup like that. And because they didn't know it was impossible, they just did it. Uh, and I think it's, it's uh, as beautiful as it is true. Uh, and it, again, like I, I think... Society is approaching like a level where it's ready for a whole different approach to work and uh, economy uh, and economic communication between everyone. And these, all of these technologies and conversations are, are just sort of emergent mechanisms for it to happen. And nobody really fully understands uh, what, what's really happening. Um, I'm, I'm also very fascinated that cryptocurrencies highlighted uh, that even the, the current monetary mechanics around fiat money, uh, almost nobody understands it. So there are regulators, there are, there's like in America, there's SEC, there are stock exchanges, there are big banks, there are different uh, like types of regulators and uh, agents in the financial sector. And if you talk to to people from different agencies, they can't even agree on basic theories behind money. And that is absolutely fascinating because like 
so much is driven by money right now, but nobody really understands uh, like the fundamentals and how money is created and what it means, like the like the the effects of, of those like creations. It's just the financial sector, like every company in it, like hedge funds and and funds and venture capital, is like good at what they do because they sort of empirically arrived at their own industry and are just doing it. And cryptocurrencies, uh, by generating so much attention and by, uh, you know, when you introduce an, a full alternative to an existing system, uh, you provoke uh, a, a very sober look at what that previous system used to be. And it, it's like the feeling is it's being exposed for its inconsistency and uh, lack of common sense and basically uh, lack of any ability to compete against something more coherent and more useful and more functional and more fair and more transparent and all of that, which is like what cryptocurrency is bringing. So yeah, I think different cultures around the world simultaneously are like uh, arriving at this new moment in our evolution and cryptocurrency blockchain is just uh, happening synchronously around the world at the same time in similar ways to different peoples, different countries. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's just one one. It's just a mechanism, and we we still yet to understand uh, what happen what will happen in the next five years. For me, I think I anticipate the most interesting uh, period in in many centuries. Uh, because we're going to develop this new language to talk about value um, and and how we place value on our work and on our interactions uh, as people. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I, you know, so I meet a lot of folks from the crypto ecosystem on a daily basis uh, as part of my day job and also through the podcast. And this is something I've realized as well. So I think there's a certain way that people in crypto think which cuts across cultures, languages, nationalities. And, and it's something that kind of brings people together. Like people in crypto, it, it's just so much easier to get along with them because you have this shared purpose in terms of what you're trying to do and, and the beliefs that you have um, about multiple different topics Right. So it's, uh, it's just a fascinating thing that I think that you kind of touched upon as well. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience that we may not have covered during the interview? Uh, just to, yeah, to react to your last uh, <coughs> um, phrase, I think it's, it's very beautiful that um, through their speculative uh, aspects, cryptocurrencies for the first time I see this effect, cryptocurrencies are leveraging people through greed, through, you know, through this herd instinct of like, okay, let's make some money. They're leveraging people through greed to come and actually do something productive and you know, potentially productive and useful. Uh, and um, this is unique because usually, you know, leveraging bad habits only leads to like, bad effects but here i see uh people getting into these economies and i see a lot of opportunists uh like even like i i talk to people around the world some of them just 
blank, like point blank tell me, okay, I'm an opportunist. I came into this industry to like, because I see the, saw the opportunity and I like, I couldn't miss it. But they like once they're inside, a lot of them are turning from opportunists to uh, creative professionals working on on projects. And even if you know, even if it is like a complete vaporware project, they still learn to do how to do proper marketing. And by the time they're through with the ICO or whatnot, they're already like you know useful professionals ready to. Uh, you know, they suddenly trick themselves into doing uh, useful, reasonable projects. And th this is fascinating. I don't think anything like that happened. If you look at all the uh, previous like tul tulip craze or all of those historic examples of mass hysteria where people are chasing money, uh, in every one of those instances, uh, there were there were no positive effects, maybe like some marginal ones, but at the core of all those hysterias, like there were no positive effects. But if you look at crypto, of course there are some like fringe negative effects, like people leading luxurious lifestyles when they can't really afford it or something like that. But most people are working their asses off, motivated at first by greed, but then by the success of their projects and then by uh, building real good products that bring value to their uh, customers. So I, I really think, uh, yeah, we, we, we're right now we're looking at something uh, at, at this effect that turns the whole concept of value and amassing value and amassing money on its head and incentivizes everyone in the world to come out and work hard and to be creative and bold uh, and open to, to the within their communities and to the world. Uh, and I, I'm trying not to, you know, I, I'm, I'm very sincere and objective when I say all of this. I really think that the effect of, is massive. We're only seeing it uh, on a small scale because the adoption is so small right now. But once we uh, we push uh, crypto to to be more ubiquitous across the world I, I think we it's it's gonna be an awakening and again we're reading all of these effects that people are stuck in meaningless jobs around the world and all of this is gonna dis be disrupted and all of these people around the world like billions of people uh, are suddenly uh, gonna be both encouraged and enabled to to be the most creative and productive, uh, you know, versions of themselves. Uh, and they, this keeps me excited every day. Awesome. I think that's a great note to end the interview. Great. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time out to come speak with us. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Yes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.